Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Nathan Finn to the podcast. Dr. Finn serves as provost and dean of the university faculty at North Greenville University in Greer, South Carolina. Dr. Finn, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you very much, Dr. Allen. It's my honor to be here today. Yeah, good to have you on the phone today and uh, recording this podcast with you. We're recording this the first week of June 2020, so your institution, like mine, still in the middle of navigating COVID-19, and so, which has complicated our spring here, and uh, I'm sure it's complicated your spring there as well. These are strange days to be in, there is no doubt. Yeah, and look, congratulations on your role there. How long have you been serving as provost and dean of the faculty? So this, uh, just about three days ago, I celebrated my two-year anniversary. So just wrapped up my second academic year and now a few days into my third academic year. And we, we love it here. It's a great place. That's so encouraging to hear. Well, look, I've appreciated your ministry of the years. And of course, we've had you in chapel here before and interacted a number of times over the years. But today, we are going to be talking about the Christ-centered piety of Charles Spurgeon and building the conversation really off of a book that you edited and uh, recently released. And the name of that book is The Sum and Substance of the Gospel, The Christ-Centered Piety of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a project by you and your PhD student, Aaron Lumpkin. And so we're good to talk about Spurgeon today. As I record this, I'm in the Spurgeon Library studio here on the campus of Midwestern Seminary. And so it's good to be in the Spurgeon Library talking with a, a church historian about Spurgeon and uh, in particular, the sum and stuff, substance of the gospel, uh, his Christ-centered piety. So Nathan, thank you for joining me today. I'm very happy to be a part of the conversation. Well, look, before we get into that, give our listeners a word of update on you and your ministry, your family, and any writing projects you have going on or upcoming. Yeah, so... Uh, Married to Leah, we have four children who we call the Finlings, and uh, they range in age uh, from seven to 13, and we're having a great time with them. Uh, love working at North Greenville University. I, I am sort of a church historian and theologian first, but unfortunately, my day job is administration, so I tend to do paperwork and things like that a little bit more than uh, the teaching and the writing. Uh, but uh, just love church history and love bringing church history uh, to bear on everyday walking with Christ and pastoral ministry. And so that's uh, why I'm interested in this topic we're talking about today. So tell us about this little project, this little book, what led you to this book, and give us the story. So it really brings together two things that I am supremely interested in. Uh, so one of them is uh, Baptist history and theology, and, and that's probably what I've done most of my work in and what people, would, if they think of me, that's what they would think of. But then I'm also very interested in spiritual formation and, and just the Christian life, sanctification. So this series had been out there for a while. Uh, my friend and sometime collaborator, Michael Haken, is the general editor of the series. And when I saw the series, I thought, huh, Charles Spurgeon would be a pretty good fit for that, and I could bring together my interests in Baptist history and theology along with my interests in spiritual formation, and again, he's a good fit in this particular series, and Aaron Lumpkin is one of my best PhD students. He's also very interested in 
Baptist history. He's very interested in spiritual formation, and he was very eager to help out. And so I'm just glad that people are reading Spurgeon and learning from Spurgeon. So give us the broad contours of Spurgeon's life. We don't want to assume people are familiar with that storyline. Most of our listeners, most all of our listeners, I trust, recognize at least his name. But for those who are less familiar, make the case why they should be more familiar with Charles Spurgeon. So Charles Spurgeon is this fascinating figure who has appeal for just about everybody once they know who he is. So if you love preachers and pastoring, Charles Spurgeon was widely considered to be the greatest preacher of the Victorian era in the 19th century. He pastored the largest non-Catholic church in the world in the second half of the 19th century. If you're interested in uh Theology. Charles Spurgeon was a pastor theologian uh, who was very deeply moved by doctrine. That sort of gets to the heart of this book and really put that doctrine into action in his preaching and his ministry. Uh, if you're interested in linking arms with other Christians across denominations, Spurgeon was a diehard convictional Baptist, but regularly uh, worked with Christians and other traditions uh, to proclaim Christ and to partner together on uh, different projects that were related to the culture. And so uh, he's just this sort of larger-than-life figure who has appeal that transcends any particular tribe or any particular tradition. And, uh, and then not for nothing, he's just written a lot of books that are the sort of books that almost any Christian who enjoys edifying reading can pick up and benefit from his devotional works or his uh, homiletical commentaries on the Psalms or his writings about themes like the Lord's Supper or the doctrine of salvation or pastoral life. There's just Spurgeon is one of these people who is enduringly popular, and I've not yet met anybody who would admit to being familiar with Spurgeon and not liking him at least a little bit. Yeah, that's the thing to me, perhaps it's most intriguing of all, is his near universal appeal, certainly within evangelicalism. Calvinists like him, non-Calvinists like him. Baptists like him, Presbyterians like him, Methodists like him, et cetera, et cetera. And just as given us to preaching, uh, the fact that the Lord raised him up at such a tender young age as a late teenager, already on the national scene there. And then for many decades, up until his death in 1892, and just, just his sermons and his ministry coursing through the tentacles of the British Empire around the globe, and just really the second half of that 19th century, um, most likely being the most influential Christian alive. No, I think so. I think so. And certainly whenever, as you and I are both Baptists, and whenever we look at our tradition, uh, I mean, along with uh, someone like a Billy Graham or someone like a Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, there's not many Baptists who, for various reasons, are virtually household names. And uh, Spurgeon, for somebody who was a local church pastor, Spurgeon is probably the closest thing we have to a household name in the Baptist tradition. So we're talking about his Christ-centered piety, and we will, in part, unpack that, and then we will draw lines from his life to the lives of our listeners, pastors, local church ministers, etc., and to talk about his piety, you have to get back to his Christ-centeredness, and indeed the, um, the, the title of the book indicates that. So tell us about his Christ-centered piety. So what I love about 
Spurgeon is that Spurgeon never gets tired of talking about Christ and his saving work. He forget about whatever sort of historical or political or sociological definitions might be out there for the word evangelical. And and there's great value in those sorts of definitions. But at the end of the day, an evangelical is a Jesus person. And Spurgeon was a Jesus guy. And so he just was always talking about how Christ changed his life, how Christ could change other people's life, Christ's perfect obedience, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, that uh, he's just all about Jesus. And I think that's one of the most compelling things about Spurgeon's life, and it's one of the most compelling things about his preaching is just how much he focuses on Christ. And even when he talks about other stuff, and like any good preacher, he talks about lots of stuff, he always brings it back to Jesus, his saving work, and what it means for us as we uh, follow him along the Jesus way. Well, and if you pull virtually any volume of the Metropolitan Tabernacle Sermon series and flip to the last page of one of his printed sermons, I mean, the sermons just always end with Christ, always end with the cross, always end by pointing his listeners to the redemptive work of Jesus. And that wasn't only true in his sermons, it was true in his life and how he lived and how he organized himself spiritually all around that foundational truth. Biographically speaking, can you shed any light as to where this passion arose from, where this commitment arose from within him? I think there's two key things that shaped him early on and that sort of set this trajectory for him having a Christ-centered piety. One of them is that he's raised not only in a godly family, but he's raised in a family where his grandfather was a pastor who had drunk deeply from the well of the Puritans, on the whole, a very Christ-centered movement. And so from a really young age, Spurgeon's sort of a prodigy. And from the time he's an elementary school age kid, he's reading these uh, great Puritan works by people like Richard Baxter, John Bunyan, Joseph Aileen, and, and he's being shaped by their Christ-centeredness. So you have sort of that godly nurture uh, sort of thing happening in his life that it's very Christ-centered. But then, you know, sometimes people who are raised in those sort of contexts, uh, they wrestle to articulate when they become a Christian, at least in my experience. Folks who've always known the right answers from a very young age, they had sort of a childlike love of Christ, and sometimes they have trouble pinning down when they pass from darkness to light. And what's interesting about Spurgeon is even though he's raised in that sort of context and nurtured from a very young age— he has a very clear conversion experience where he meets Christ personally uh, when he's 14 years old. And, and that conversion experience continues to shape uh, who he is, not just in his teenage years, but for the rest of his life. So I think on the one hand, you have somebody who's been raised to care about Jesus and the things of the Lord. And then on the other hand, you have somebody, you know, Johnny Hunt. I love how Johnny Hunt says this, that he got saved and he never got over it. And I think Charles Spurgeon is one of these people. He got saved and he never got over it. From the time he came to faith in Christ, uh, it was a vibrant relationship that characterized everything about his life. And so there's a lot of things that happen with him over time with controversies and with preaching emphases and personal health struggles and 
key friendships, and all of those things shaped him as well. But that combination of a godly, Christ-centered upbringing and just a a life-changing conversion experience set him on the trajectory of becoming the man uh, that we know of today. Spurgeon, of course, was a man who knew much sorrow, much sadness, much physical pain, physical suffering. How did that Christ-centeredness uh, enable him to to not only persist through sorrows and sufferings, but but to to flourish amidst those. So one of the things that I appreciate about Spurgeon is he's so forthcoming and uh, and dare I say down to earth about his personal life and what he struggles with that, that we know about those things that you're talking about. We know about his battles with gout. We know about his battles with depression. We know about uh, just sort of a a general sickliness that characterized him the older and older he got. And through all of that, uh, Spurgeon would return again and again to Christ and his faithfulness, and, and that relying on Christ and his faithfulness would help him to endure those things. So whether it was physical pain or whether it was uh, emotional suffering. And, and with Spurgeon, as with so many others, sometimes there, those two things reinforced each other, and the, the physical suffering would lead to depression. Uh, Spurgeon never stopped loving Christ and trusting Christ. And even when he's at his lowest points, and, and Spurgeon has a couple of really low points, uh, he keeps that walk with Christ vibrant, and, and you see that before long, he comes out of that, and he begins to recover, and, and he's in better shape. Uh, and it's in part because uh, he just keeps nurturing that relationship with Christ. And I don't know what Spurgeon would say about professional counseling like we have today. I don't know what he would say about medication. I, I'm not real big into speculating what-if sort of stuff. But I know that Spurgeon, regardless of what his opinion might be about those sorts of things, Spurgeon would say, keep trusting Christ. He will hold you fast. No matter how bad things get, no matter how low you are, Christ won't abandon you. So keep looking to him, and he'll bring you through. So when you think about Spurgeon's Christ-centered piety, and that word piety, how do you describe him? I mean, he, he obviously was given a personal holiness, a man of the spiritual disciplines, but he wasn't, right. a, he wasn't a legalist. So h- how do you classify him? So I would, <laughs> at the risk of being overly simplistic, uh, I mean, I would, I would classify him as somebody who was a biblicist uh, who saw Christ uh, from Genesis to Revelation in that Bible that he loved so much. Uh, you know, the easiest thing in the world is to either dive over into legalism because it gives you all the answers, right? Or to dive over into licentiousness because then none of the answers matter. And I think what Spurgeon understood is as easy in different ways as, uh, as those two different tendencies to be, uh, tend to be, whether there's the legalism or kind of the libertinism, antinomianism, uh, you know, the, the, the hard work of biblical holiness every day, waking up, repenting anew, seeking with the help of the Holy Spirit to mortify your sins and to cultivate godly virtues, uh, 
he recognized that though that is the harder path, it's the biblical path. Now, Spurgeon is very different than Dallas Willard. And some of the things that Dallas Willard said are weird. But one of the things that Dallas Willard said that I think that Spurgeon would have resonated with uh, is uh, Willard's oft-repeated quote that uh, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Holiness is hard work. Spurgeon understood that holiness was hard work, but it is a wonderful work, and it is a life-giving work uh, whenever it flows out of the sort of vibrant personal relationship with Christ based on grace through faith uh, that Spurgeon uh, lived out in his life and that he commended to others in his ministries of preaching and writing. So draw lines for us from Spurgeon's 19th century life and devotion to Christ to 21st century ministry. What are the lessons for our listeners? I've been thinking a lot about this, especially with kind of this moment that we're in right now in time. And I know that this podcast will release uh, probably in a few weeks. And so who knows what the future holds? 2020 is just the gift that keeps on giving, right? But, uh, but you know, right now there's so many things happening in our world with the, the coronavirus, COVID-19, with the economic turmoil that's coming from various ways of responding to COVID-19. Uh, right now, there's a lot of racial unrest in our country and, and questions related to that. And, you know, all those things that are going on, uh, pastors want to and they should in a biblical way, speak to those things that are going on in the world. And not just right now, but at any point. You know, good pastors, they're aware of what's going on in the world, and they try to bring the scriptures to bear on those things. But there is a temptation, even among good pastors, to allow whatever the pressing issue is of the now to overwhelm the enduring pressing issue of yesterday, today, and forever, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that Spurgeon reminds us, as we flip through the Metropolitan Tabernacle sermons, and we see how he's in every sermon returning to the saving work of Christ, there's a lesson there for pastors, and or even someone uh, like me or someone like you who don't pastor a church, but we're regularly preaching to God's people— uh, We need to address important things, but we don't need to be distracted by the main thing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And even as we do address those issues that come and go in our culture or that come and go in particular churches, we have to do that from a biblical posture that makes much of Christ and that always says that our ultimate hope uh, is in Uh, Christ and what he has done on behalf of sinners. Spurgeon got that. And if we don't learn any other lesson from him as preachers, we need to learn, stay focused on Christ. Keep people focused on Christ. He is our only hope yesterday, today, and forever. Well, Dr. Finn, we'll leave it there. Thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. And uh, again, I want to commend your new little book, The Sum and Substance of the Gospel, The Christ-Centered Piety of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, by you and your PhD student, Aaron Lumpkin, out with Reformation Heritage Books. 
Thank you very much, Dr. Allen, and thanks for all that you guys are doing uh, for the church at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.